Hey guys, welcome to Relatable. Happy Wednesday. I hope everyone has had a good week so far. Today we are going to talk about some news on the abortion front and how the demand for abortion is unfortunately increasing thanks to the powerful abortion lobby and the chaos of the pandemic and how we should be looking about that as Christians. I am going to uh, give us a little bit of a refresher on the abortion argument and how we should be um, arguing against it from a biblical, logical, scientific perspective. I am also going to tell you about the latest Democratic Relief Bill, as well as HR 666, is it, did I say it? 6666, uh, which is also known as the Trace Act, which has to do with isolation measures and contact tracing and a lot of different things that have to do with our privacy. So we are going to get into all of that today. First, I want to tell you guys about ExpressVPN, which I have talked to you about before. I use ExpressVPN. It protects my uh, computer and it protects my phone against hackers, protects all my information on all of our devices to make sure that our privacy is protected. If you are at home right now and you are probably on your devices more than ever, this becomes really, really important. ExpressVPN makes sure that your internet service provider can't see what sites you visit. So instead, your internet connection is rerouted through ExpressVPN secure servers. Each ExpressVPN server has an IP address that is shared among thousands of users. So that means that everything that you do is anonymized and can't be traced back to you which is really good news. So you can use the internet with confidence without being worried about who is seeing what you're doing from your computer, your tablet, or your smartphone. ExpressVPN has you covered on every device. Simply tap one button and you are protected. ExpressVPN is the fastest and most trusted VPN on the market. So protect your online activity today with the VPN that I trust to secure my privacy. Visit my special link at expressvpn.com Ally, and you can get an extra three months free on a one-year package. That is expressvpn.com slash Ally, expressvpn.com slash Ally to learn more. Okay, first, let's talk about some of the things that are going on in the abortion industry. We've talked about abortion a lot on this podcast, but we haven't really talked about it that much recently. Obviously, it's not because I don't care about it or I don't think it's important, but there's just been a lot going on. And as I was doing some research, actually, for a speech that I did a couple days ago for a pro-life organization, I did it virtually, I realized that there is a lot going on in this sphere that I think is important to uh, pay attention to right now. If you are newer to the podcast and you want some thorough explanations on what abortion is and why it is wrong in every sense of the word, we are going to talk about that today. Uh, but there are also lots of other episodes to choose from. Some of them are episode 71, episode 127, episode 141 and episode 187. Those are just a few. We have looked at what abortion is medically, scientifically, the moral and philosophical questions surrounding abortion, the legal questions, and most importantly, the theological questions surrounding abortion. And we, like I said 
are going to talk about some of those things today. If you've heard me talk about this a thousand times, don't worry. We even have a new angle at which we are going to go at this subject. And my goal is always to help you think more critically about this topic and to be able to bolster your own views. Or if you're pro-choice, I do have pro-choice people that listen to this podcast. Maybe this episode will challenge you uh, a little bit. And if you've got any feedback or critiques or questions, as always, feel free to ask them to me. Anyway, what is happening on the abortion front right now? I read in Newsweek that the United Nations has just decided to move forward with a $2 billion response to the coronavirus, allocating resources around the world to the countries that need it most. $120 million of those dollars in that fund is directed to the UN Population Fund, whose priority is ensuring that girls and women can easily access abortion, and they also have a reputation for actually circumventing a nation's laws to make sure that girls and women are able to have abortions. As we talked about on the episode from a few weeks ago titled, Who is WHO? They are unabashedly a far left wing, uh, a far left wing organization. They are passionately uh, pro-abortion, as you can read for yourself on its website. And so there is a lot of money also going from the United Nations to the WHO. A USA Today reports that demand for abortion is up due to coronavirus and that despite apparent fears about the virus spreading in closed places, abortion clinics are accommodating this uptick in clientele. Uh, it's reported that even women who want children are actually having abortions because they're nervous to go to the hospital for regular checkups. And so as we've said before, fear has fatalities. I know coronavirus does, but so does fear and so does this quarantine. Um, a director of a clinic in Illinois said that the percentage of women who go through with the abortion after the initial consultation, consultation has increased from 50% to 85%. Abortion clinics are providing how-to guides on do-it-yourself abortions for women who are panicked about being pregnant right now. Uh, this is from Dr. Ann Davis, an OBGYN at Columbia University Medical Center. She said, we don't know enough about this to say that it's going to be fine. Your pregnancy will proceed in usual fashion and there will be no impact from COVID-19. They want us to say that it will be all right. We have to say we don't know. We don't know. So women who find themselves pregnant right now in the middle of a global pandemic are dealing with uncertainty. They're dealing with fear. They're they're scared. Maybe they or their boyfriend or husband lost their job. They're not sure how they're going to be able to provide for their kids. And what they're receiving from the so-called experts at abortion clinics and hospitals that perform abortions is, according to this Dr. Davis, more uncertainty. They're hearing, we don't know. In other words, their fears of the future only are being uh, confirmed and exacerbated when they're seeking help rather than calmed and mitigated. So instead of hearing, yes, life is hard right now and I know that the future is unsure, but I believe that you can do this and here's a list of organizations and people that can help you with food and clothing and diapers and resources and all the things that you need, they are hearing, we don't know. If you listen to the interview that I did with Abby Johnson a few months ago, she used to work at Planned Parenthood. Now she works really hard uh, in the in the in the pro-life arena. You know that this is par for the course. 
at abortion centers, staff at abortion clinics uh, prey upon the fears of potential clients by affirming their insecurities and affirming their anxieties rather than offering them what they really need. And what they really need is strength and hope. Uh, these women not only hear from abortion staffers that it's too hard to raise a baby, that it really would be better if they opted for abortion, they also are very often lied to about scientifically what is going on inside their body. Uh, the abortion industry has worked very, very hard to dehumanize the unborn child by using what they believe is more sterile and completely nonsensical language, like pregnancy tissue. So if you go to PlannedParenthood.com, you will read about what an abortion is, but it will say things like, take the pregnancy out of you, take the pregnancy tissue out of you. They might even say, if they're feeling a little bit cheery that day, fetus, knowing that the Latin word for baby is objectifying enough to abate any guilt a woman might feel over killing her offspring. Uh, the media, academia, Hollywood, social media have all helped the abortion industry in the effort to make abortion seem as meaningless and even as moral as possible by ignoring the very simple, very scientific fact that it kills violently and brutally a defenseless human being. Uh, right now, Planned Parenthood is doing what they call telehealth. They are offering appointments via Zoom and are even, uh, are even walking mothers through how to abort their babies from home. This is from USA Today. Dr. Mira Shaw is a chief medical officer of Planned Parenthood Hudson, uh, Planned Parenthood Hudson, which serves New York, serves New York's northern suburbs. Sorry, can't read for some reason. She says her staff is expanding telemedicine as they see an uptick in patients seeking abortions. Often convinced that having a child right now isn't best for them, we provided a medication abortion to an EMT while she was sitting in her ambulance. Shaw said we provided abortion care to a mother who was at home with her children running around behind her. Okay, a uh, Planned Parenthood said the international uh, Planned Parenthood and the international abortion lobby is doing everything that they possibly can to make it an abortion as easy as possible. And if it were up to them, uh, they would give women no time to consider other options like keeping the baby or adoption, no time to weigh the moral implications, no time to get over the initial panic about having a baby in a pandemic, no time to wonder if maybe she'll regret the decision one day, no, no information about fetal development, no opportunity to even wonder if having an out of hospital or at home abortion might be dangerous to her own health. They want to make sure that even and especially right now in a pandemic that women can abort their babies as conveniently, as quickly, as easily as possible. Now, I always like to remind my audience of what an abortion is, not because I enjoy remembering that or enjoy reading about it or talking about it. I don't, it makes my heart hurt. I get a pit in my stomach. If you don't want to hear it, you might wanna fast forward through what I'm about to say. If you're listening with kids, I certainly am giving you a fair warning about that. But particularly for the people who haven't heard me describe what some of these procedures are, that it's not hyperbole, I'm not putting my spin on things, I'm literally reading it from either Planned Parenthood's website or other uh, abortion centers website, I am not trying to uh, change what scientifically and literally an abortion procedure is, I'm just trying to inform you. So if you haven't heard me do that, I do, I do recommend that you listen to it, that you make yourself listen to it if you are pro-choice. 
then you should certainly have nothing to fear in listening to what I'm about to say because this is something that you actually support women having the right to be able to do. Um, Particularly for these people, I want to remind them of what actually happens. If you are already pro-life, I think this bolsters your stance. If you are pro-choice, it might just challenge you a little bit to think about how you can kind of morally and logically defend this kind of procedure. So from the moment of conception, very basic reminder, an unborn child, a zygote, whatever you want to call it, has unique human DNA that is independent from his or her mom and dad. He or she is a boy or a girl. She is not simply a clump of cells. She is not an object. She's not in some transient state between dead and alive. He is a living, a rapidly developing human being. That is a scientific fact. He is not anything other than a human being. There is no chance of him growing into anything else other than a fully formed human baby with simple time. Uh, every single person you see walking around on earth was once a rapidly developing embryo that at first did not resemble a human, but nevertheless possessed the telltale signs of humanity, which is human DNA. Uh, abortion kills a human. Again, a scientific fact that is, that is not controversial, that is, uh, not able to be argued with, that is a scientific fact. Early on in pregnancy, it's usually done by medication, so a, medic a medical abortion or um, done by taking a pill, which actually poisons the, the tiny developing human being to death later on in the pregnancy, later in the, the first trimester and into the second trimester. They suck the baby out of a woman's uterus with a tube. In later weeks, when the baby's body parts are too big to fit through the tube, the baby is dismembered with forceps, taking uh, the baby apart limb by limb out of the mother's uterus. Again, this was a living, moving human being with a beating heart and a brain, a nervous system, hands, feet, fingers, toes, often able to feel pain. The bigger the baby is, the harder he or she is to remove from the mother's uterus. So the skull is often crushed by the forceps so the abortionist can pull the head out of the vaginal canal. Um, some providers inject potassium chloride through the mother's abdomen into her uterus and into the baby's heart to send the baby into cardiac arrest before he or she is extracted from the womb with the forceps or in an induction abortion, which is very rare uh, in the United States, but still accounts for about 2% of abortions, which is about 20,000 abortions per year, where the baby is killed by a forced heart attack uh, with potassium chloride and then delivered already dead. Uh, there is a book that was written in the 1970s by a female psychiatrist and Holocaust survivor who observed a New York City abortion center, and the book is called Necessity and Sorrow. She is pro-abortion, or was pro-abortion. She's no longer alive, and she believed that abortion is necessary. But unlike abortion activists today, she was very honest about what abortion is. She writes this in her book. I look inside the bucket in front of me. I'm just warning you, this is graphic. I look inside the bucket in front of me. There's a small naked person in there floating in bloody liquid, plainly the tragic victim of a drowning accident. But then perhaps this was no accident because the body is purple with bruises. Oh yes, I am no stranger here. I have seen brains spilled on sidewalks and crushed forever with one blow. Who says you can't go home again? A death factory is the same anywhere. So she is obviously comparing the abortion clinic at which 
she was uh, attending, she was observing there to what she saw in the Holocaust. Again, this is a, a person who is pro-choice, pro-abortion. She quotes an, an abortionist, Dr. Benjamin Kalish, who said this to her, when you put in the needle, theoretically, you go to the sack and you take out fluid and put in salt water. But there are times when you hit the fetus and you can feel the fetus wiggling at the end of that needle and moving around, which is an unpleasant thing. She quotes the director of nursing, a woman by the name of Maureen O'Neill. The 20-week ones are a challenge. I agree with the staff in one way that they feel a little repulsed when you get a big fetus. It is very traumatic for the staff to pick this up and to put it in the container and say, okay, that's going to the incinerator. That is the reality of abortion to this day. Babies are put in buckets and the ones who survive abortions are oftentimes left to die. Virginia Governor Ralph Northam said himself just a year and a half ago that babies who survive abortions will be set to the side and made comfortable while the doctor and mother decide what to do. The case of abortionist Kermit Gosnell was just taken before a jury a few years ago, 2013. The grand jury report of the case said this, this case is about a doctor who killed babies and endangered women. What we mean is that he regularly and illegally delivered live viable babies in the third trimester of pregnancy and then murdered these newborns by severing their spinal cords with scissors, it states. The medical practice by which he carried out this business was a filthy fraud in which he overdosed his patients with dangerous drugs, spread venereal disease among, among them with infected instruments, perforated their wombs and bowels, and on at least two occasions caused their deaths. Only last year, more than 2,000 fetal remains were found in the home of an Indiana abortion doctor, Ulrich Klopfer. The reality of abortion is gruesome. It is grotesque. It is brutal and violent and painful and tragic, and it sears the collective conscience of our country. It is a moral travesty, and the only justification for it is either evil or ignorance and after a certain amount of time with all the information available on the subject, ignorance becomes evil. Even those who are without Christ, even those who don't know God, can still see the brutality and wickedness of abortion. The author that I told you about of Necessity and Sorrow did not believe in God. And yet she said that abortion in her book, what she believed was a necessary evil, caused a deep and profound anguish in her heart. That's how she described it. Because all humans are made in God's image, he has given us all a natural and basic understanding of what evil looks like and feels like, even if people choose it anyway. It becomes easier to choose evil when you convince yourself that evil isn't evil and that it's good. That's what Planned Parenthood has done. That's what feminism as a whole has done. It's done an excellent job at creating a positive PR campaign for abortion, changing the terminology so that words like empowered, justice, equality, freedom, and choice are used to describe a procedure that can most accurately be described as murder. There is also this very weird new age idea that I have seen floating about online and I even heard it once in a documentary about abortion. Um, it's this idea that our babies choose us from the other side and when we miscarry or abort them, they're simply 
going back to the other side. So like no harm, no foul. This is this weird, mystical, superstitious, new age idea that I've seen floating around on social media. So the idea is that the real person is a soul and the body is just a sort of meaningless outer shell, a, a vessel, which means as it pertains to an unborn baby, that abortion within this mentality doesn't actually kill and a, mis a miscarriage isn't actually death, but just a passage of the real person, a soul, back into the other world where they will wait until they have the opportunity to quote, choose a parent again. People really truly believe this and it might sound nice, but it is obviously nonetheless mythical. We see this idea as well in, in other conversations that don't have to do with abortion, that the, that the real self, the real you is on the inside and your body is just kind of this arbitrary vessel. And uh, we see it in the culture of self-love and self-help, which is greatly influenced by the new age, uh, that your real you deep down is good and pure and authentic. And if you dig deep enough through self-discovery and self-love, you will find it and unleash it and be fulfilled. This is the idea, by the way, behind the Enneagram. Uh, this is also the thinking behind the normalization of things like gender fluidity and transgenderism, who you are on the inside is who you really are and your body should just be dictated by the real you inside. That's how the thinking goes. Uh, but for the Christian, we know that that thinking is not biblical. That's not a true view of a human being. The Bible teaches that our bodies and our spirits are intertwined, that our bodies matter, that our bodies are a part of who we really are, and therefore they have meaning, that God cares about our bodies. He created our bodies with specific purposes. He cares about what we do to and with our bodies. Uh, there will one day be a resurrection of the bodies, and that we have a, a real spiritual imperishable body to look forward to. If you haven't read uh, Love Thy Body by Nancy Piercy, I highly encourage you to do so. So all of this means from a biblical perspective that abortion kills a human being with a soul, a human being made in the image of God, a human being whose body and soul were made by God and matter to God, a body who strictly scientifically speaking can feel pain likely as early as 16 weeks. So that's only a third of the way through the second trimester if my math is correct. But the abortion lobby doesn't want you to think of that. They don't want you to think about the reality of abortion at all as long as they can get women to think of abortion in the abstract um, as a political movement, as a symbol of freedom or a representation of empowerment rather than a physical violent act, they can continue to win unwitting people onto their side. I want to read you a quote from C.S. Lewis's Screwtape Letters, a book that I've read several times. I'm now reading it again through my online book club. Uh, screw tape. if you don't know about screw tape letters, so screw tape is the fictional demon writing letters to his nephew, Wormwood. And he starts out, uh, the book starts out with the first letter in which screw tape is instructing his nephew, Wormwood, how to keep his patient, and that is the human he is trying to torment and tempt away from God, away from Christianity. So this is what he says. Jargon, not argument, is your best ally in keeping him from the church. Don't waste time trying to make him think that materialism is true. Make him think it is strong or stark or courageous, that it is the philosophy of the future. That's the sort of thing he cares about. 
By the very act of arguing, you awake the patient's reason. And once it is awake, who can foresee the result? This is exactly why pro-abortionists, so-called pro-choicers, don't argue about abortion. This is why they don't talk about what abortion actually is or does. This is why they cannot and do not typically try to make any real moral sense of it or moral defense of it because there isn't one. They use jargon and the feeling that if you are pro-choice, you're on the right side of history without actually giving any real answer to what that really means. They know that if they try to appeal to reason or logic or morality or anything that's actually real, they will lose. So they numb your brain with ridiculous doublespeak that makes no sense, but nevertheless sounds really good. So my goal right now, always when I talk about this subject, is to awaken your reason. Because you are too smart, girl. You are too smart to be pro-choice. Now, you know too much. You, uh, I, I know that you don't want to think about it. I, I know that you don't want to consider this because you don't know what your friends are going to think and you don't want to uh, be a bad feminist. You don't want to be anti-woman. You want to believe in female equality. Well, let me just tell you, let me level with you woman to woman and say abortion ain't it. If a woman can't be equal without killing her baby, then she doesn't deserve to be equal at all. I want you to think about this. I want you to consider this. I want you to think about your moral arguments and your logical arguments for the violent killing of babies inside the womb. I want you to think through the questions that I have laid before you. And I encourage you to go back and listen to some other episodes that I've done. I probably answer a lot of the questions that you have and just wrestle with this. If you are truly right, in being pro-choice, if you are truly correct, if you are on the quote right side of history, then you have nothing to fear in wrestling with some of the questions and the things that I have put before you today. So that's my challenge. It is no coincidence that Satan works the same way as the abortion movement does, as the abortion movement is under the influence of Satan. And I understand if you're not a Christian, that's going to sound crazy to you. But if you are a Christian, this is a reminder that there's no such thing as neutral grounds. Uh, to quote my good friend C.S. Lewis again, there is no neutral ground in the universe. Every square inch, every split second is claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan. Let that reality seek in, uh, sink in to uh, every word that you speak, every thought that you conjure, and every step that you take, that there is no neutral ground. Uh, I do want to say as well that while the abortion industry, abortion news is always bleak, there are good things happening in the pro-life front. Uh, the Supreme Court is set to rule on an abortion related to uh, related to a case, or sorry, it's set to rule on an abortion-related case, Jew Medical Services versus Rousseau. This is about a 2014 Louisiana law that requires doctors who perform abortions to have admitting privileges, uh, privileges to a local hospital. Abortion advocates are are really angry about this. They think that, um, as is the case in New York and other states, that not only should doctors not be required to have admitting privileges into a hospital, but also that non-doctors should be allowed to perform abortions. The Guttmacher Institute, the research arm of Planned Parenthood, released a new report that says that 15 states could see abortion access profoundly reduced if the, if the Louisiana law is upheld. There are already six states that have a similar law that is currently not enacted while waiting for the Supreme Court ruling. So that's Alabama, Arkansas, Mississippi, Oklahoma, Tennessee, and Texas. 
CBS News says this, admitting privileges, uh, admitting privilege laws have historically been tied to clinic closures when an admitting privilege law in Texas was in effect from November 2013 to June 2016. The number of clinics in the state nearly halved, dropping from 22 from 41. So that obviously I'm not going to pretend that 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 I am not celebrating that. Of course, that might not be the main goal of this law, but it is um, it is a happy, a happy outcome. It is a happy consequence of all of that. Of course, we want fewer abortion clinics and we want fewer abortions. And so we're hoping that this goes in the favor, that the decision goes in the favor of the Louisiana law, considering that we have um, pretty much a conservative majority right now on the Supreme Court. It's looking pretty good. So that's uh, hopeful and possibly good news. There's also a report from Heartbeat International's Abortion Pill Rescue Network that says that women calling their hotline for an abortion pill reversal um, has gone up from about 50%, I think, to 80% of people who call and actually go through with the reversal. And there are a lot more people that are calling in, a lot more women that are calling in. So um, praise God. Remember, God's work doesn't always make headlines, doesn't usually make headlines, but it is always happening. And in fact, God's reality and God's work is the realest reality that we exist in, not what's going on on Twitter, not what's going on in the news. Okay, I want to talk to you guys about this trace bill, this HR 6666, but first I'm going to tell you about another sponsor, and this is a new sponsor. So we're all looking for ways to save money, especially right now. When is the last time that you looked at how much you're spending every month or your car insurance? It was probably recently because you've probably been trying to budget uh, for the past few months and make sure that you know where all of your money is going or maybe your homeowner's insurance. So now's the time to check out Gabby and see about getting a lower rate for the exact same coverage that you already have. So Gabby takes the pain out of shopping for insurance by giving you an apples to apples comparison of your current coverage with 40 of the top insurance providers like Progressive, Nationwide, Travelers. So you just link your current insurance account and in about two minutes, you'll be able to see quotes for the exact same coverage that you currently have. Uh, Gabby customers save $825 per year on average. That's a significant chunk of change. Like that makes a big difference for a lot of families. And if they cannot find you savings, uh, they will let you know so you can relax knowing you have the best rate out there. Like it really is a win-win and they will never sell your information. So you don't have to worry about spam or robocalls or invasions of privacy or anything like that. It is totally free. That's the best part to check your rate and there's no obligation. So just take two minutes, maybe even less than that right now to, or maybe after you finish listening to this episode to see how much you can save on your car and homeowners insurance, go to gabby.com slash relatable. That is gabby.com slash relatable to check to see if you are getting the best rates on the insurance you have now. Okay, let's talk about HR 6666, also known as the Trace Act, a bill in the House of Representatives introduced by Democrats. It has to do with testing for coronavirus and contract taste, uh, testing, or, sorry, contact tracing. A lot of you have asked me to talk about this. There is kind of limited information on it if you just Google it. So I'll tell you what I know. The text of the bill um, says this is its purpose, to authorize the Secretary of Health and Human Services to award grants to eligible entities to conduct diagnostic testing for COVID-19 and related activities such as contact tracing through mobile health units and as necessary at individuals' residences and for other purposes. So 
The bill gives money to applicants who are medical centers, nonprofits, and the like to basically do testing, outreach, and contact tracing. So to set up a, either a mobile testing unit in your area and or do door-to-door -door outreach. I guess asking, it doesn't say specifics, but I guess asking you like if you want to be tested for coronavirus and if you test positive, uh, asking whom you've been around, tracing those contact, uh, contacts, uh, tell them they've been exposed and probably test them and so on and so on and the network just grows. Uh, the first problem, that you read of this. So the concern that a lot of people has have is, of course, uh, about privacy. And the first problem that you read uh, in the first line is for other purposes. So what does that mean, for other purposes? Let's read that again. Uh, to authorize the Secretary of Health and Human Services to award grants to eligible entities to conduct diagnostic testing for COVID-19 and related activities such as contact tracing through mobile health units and as necessary at individuals' residences and for other purposes. I'm even confused just about like the syntax there, but we don't know what for other purposes is. So diagnostic testing for other purposes, setting up these mobile health units for other purposes. I, I don't I don't really know what that means and the bill doesn't tell us. So for what other purposes are people going to be traced or to have these people paid by the government showing up at our houses? The bill says that they can do the testing and contact tracing at mobile medical units, or it says as necessary testing individuals and providing individuals with services related to testing and quarantine at their residences. There's again, a lot of vagueness here. Like we don't know what quote, providing individuals with services related to testing and quarantine at their residences means. That needs to be clarified. There's a lot going on right now that seems to be a violation of privacy that people are justifiably worried about. So I don't really trust that uh, the caveat that they have in here, because they do have a little caveat, I don't really trust that this caveat uh, that says that this bill can't supersede our privacy rights. It says that uh, this bill doesn't supersede any of our federal privacy or confidentiality rights. I just don't trust that that means anything. It doesn't really feel like we have a whole lot of privacy rights right now, even though the Bill of Rights doesn't make an exception for a pandemic. Apparently, some governors think that it does. I understand the need for, for testing or the desire for testing, and theoretically, Theoretically, I could see the benefit of voluntary contact tracing, but, but, huge but here, I'm not sure how you do that without violating people's privacy. So the person who tests positive and then tells the person who tested them whom he's been around and then what happens? He, he gives the person who tested him all the personal information about all their friends that they have been around. So like their name, their address, their phone number. How does this contact tracing work? And if that information is already out there and I just don't know, please, please tell me. I know that this has happened in South Korea, but it's not outlined in this bill. So these government paid entities will trace and monitor the contacts of infected individuals. So these government paid entities, according to this bill, will be authorized to trace and monitor the contacts of the person who tested positive for coronavirus. So the person who tests positive and then tells the person who tested him every one he's been around and presumably all their personal information, these entities can then trace and monitor those people. So how 
Through what means? How is this, how is this happening? Is there any consent involved in the tracing and monitoring of the people who have been in contact, probably unknowingly, with someone who has been infected with the coronavirus? And what does support the quarantine of such contacts means? How do you support quarantine? Uh, by making sure that people don't leave? Like, how, how are you going to do that? How do you actually enforce that? This is where people are afraid, justifiably, of tyranny. And some people are afraid, and this is more of an implication, this isn't actually said in this bill, but some people are afraid that this means supporting quarantine means being taken out of their homes. I mean, that's happened in China, that's happened in places like South Korea. An official for the WHO suggested the same thing, that people who are sick be taken somewhere else with other sick people rather than remaining home with their families. People just aren't going to do that. And the government has no right to force people to do that. The bill does say nothing in the section, like I said, shall be construed to supersede any federal privacy or confidentiality requirement. Well, it just doesn't seem like that idea has been holding up very well recently. So there are a lot of questions with this bill that need to be that need to be answered. A lot of open-endedness. I would be wary of, again, conspiracies. I would be wary of hyperbole. I'd be wary of listening to every single thing that you hear. Just go read the text for yourself and you can try to decipher it. All of these bills are always in such stupid jargon and confusing language. But if you read it a few times and you break it down, you'll probably end up with a lot of the same questions that I do. I don't want to spin you into a tizzy with conspiracy theories that I don't know. These are just the questions I have as I was reading the bill itself. And then we see that the Democrats in the House of Representatives just unveiled a new three trillion dollar relief bill for coronavirus, three trillion dollars. That is truly just as a lot of Republicans are saying, a wish list of all the things Democrats want, uh, want anyway, even outside of the pandemic with no thought whatsoever uh, toward whether or not we can actually afford to spend another three trillion dollars. And listen to this, $75 billion would go towards testing, contact tracing and isolation measures. Testing, contact tracing, and isolation measures. Again, and you're gonna tell people, y'all are gonna tell people that people don't have, have, to, have to be worried. People have, don't have to be worried about government overreach. People don't have to be worried about tyranny. We're already worried about tyranny. Like we're already seeing a lot of the things that are happening in a lot of states with indefinite lockdowns, telling people that they can't go outside, they can't provide for their families, they can't even plant gardens in their own backyard. We're already worried about the tyranny. And then we see House Democrats trying to push this down the pipeline. $3 trillion, $75 billion towards testing, contact tracing, and isolation measures. We would like to know what that means, Nancy Pelosi. We would love to know what that means. Uh, $600, $600 in unemployment benefits per week to every single person who is unemployed through January 2021. So it was July 2020. Now they're trying to extend that through January 2021, which means that many people will not go back to work because they can make more money unemployed than employed, which will keep unemployment rates high, which they know Democrats know is bad for Trump. So that is the heart behind that. It's not compassion. Uh, this would be the most expensive spending package 
in United States history. Maybe some of this stuff in the bill is good, uh, but I am telling you, Democrats are leveraging this crisis, if you haven't already noticed, for further control and to continue to try to foil Trump, which is evil as millions of Americans are suffering from the fatalities and the terrible effects of this lockdown. I mean, people are looking to places like Sweden, who never even fully locked down. And yes, they have had their cases and they've had their deaths, but is it astronomically higher? than the places who have locked down. And even if you look state by state, the states who have not locked down, are their numbers astronomically higher than the states who have locked down? No, they're actually lower than a lot of states. New York has been locked down for a long time and they continue to struggle, but you're not seeing the same kind of thing in California or Florida or even Georgia. All of the states, at least Florida and Georgia, have been lambasted by the media, but the numbers are not supporting this hysteria. And I've always said, look, we should take this seriously. We should distance voluntarily. You should wash your hands, please, for the love of all things good. Cover your mouth when you cough and sneeze. Be smart. But people should be able to largely make their own decisions. But the tiny tyrants are unable to release any control because they love power. They love power. They're like vampires sucking the blood out of America and the blood is just power and they're feeling stronger and stronger. And the question is, here's the question for Christians, which I've been asked many times, which I'm not going to be able to get into fully today, but I'll either address it fully on Friday or Monday. What do Christians do in the face of rebellion? It was John Knox that famously said that rebellion to tyranny is obedience to God. And the question is, is that true in light of Romans 13? Because there is contention around uh, about that. There is a controversy surrounding that. And I will get into that fully. And we'll talk about what Christians do who should respect the institution of the government and should be respectful and we should seek peace. But at what point and how do we push back against the tyranny that causes suffering and sorrow for millions of Americans and for generations to come? I am going to end on one of my favorite passages. I'm going to end on a positive, hopeful note. And I've read this passage to you guys before, and I love it because it truly is um, so hopeful. If you're looking around and you feel like wickedness and evil are prevailing and you think that corruption is going to win and you don't know if God is going to deliver us or you're worried or you're scared. This is such a great passage. It's such a good reminder of God's faithfulness and what he will do and what we as his people should be doing uh, in the meantime. So this is Psalm 37, one through nine. Encourage you to read the whole thing, but I will just uh, read you a few verses. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. 
For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. And I could just keep going. It's one of my favorite chapters ever, but I encourage you to read it and to meditate on it and to remember that God truly is in control and he is faithful and he's not surprised or thrown back or taken aback by any of this. And we can trust him and continue to be obedient with him and even be joyful in the midst of this chaos and all of the uncertainty. Okay, that's all I have for you today. I will be back here on Friday. I know I keep on putting off talking about pandemic and I promise to do that. I just haven't been able to look into it sufficiently, um, but I will try to cover that for you very soon and have a great rest of your week.